Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. The British people have had enough of waiting. The time has come to act. People are really angry out there. They're angry that the referendum's not being carried out. But they're even angrier that politicians' promises to them have been broken. Given how huge this decision is for our country, the severe consequences there will be for generations, it is time to put this back to the people and stop this Brexit chaos. We will do everything necessary to stop a disastrous no-deal. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. A very warm welcome. I'm Roger Hearing. And good afternoon. I'm Caroline Hepke. So is it the moment of truth then for Boris Johnson? The Prime Minister is preparing to present his blueprint for a deal uh, with the, the European Union in the coming days. The Irish broadcaster, Roger RTE, uh, reported late on Monday that the UK has proposed this idea of customs checks five to ten miles away from the actual Irish border. Ah, but Boris Johnson said, no, 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 there's been confusion. He said, we don't want to see new border posts just away from the border. He doesn't really say what the new proposal is, however. In fact, he said there'll have to be some checks, but he doesn't say where. Have a quick listen to what he actually said. We don't want to see new border posts just away from the border. That's not what we're envisaging. I think there may be some confusion about that. But I'm not going to minimise this. This is the moment when we all really have to try uh, to make progress. Well, the Prime Minister's spokeswoman, Alison Donnelly, has now told reporters in London there is an absolute commitment not to put checks on the Irish border. Yeah, indeed. And that has uh, been the sort of long-term uh, commitment. Uh, so lots to discuss with our guests. Perhaps we'll, they can enlighten us on what all of this means. Because in a moment, we're going to be joined by John Redwood, the Conservative MP for Wokingham and veteran Eurosceptic. He'll be joining us from the Conservative uh, Conference up in Manchester. But first, let's get on to that story that's been erupting really over the last 12 hours or so. Johnson's commitment that the rubber will hit the road, Black Brexit blueprint expected this week. Let's dissect some of that because we're joined by Bloomberg's International Government Executive Editor, Ros Matheson, here in the studio in London, and down the line from Dublin, Peter Flanagan, Bloomberg ba- reporter based there in Dublin. So, Ros, let me come to you first. Do we have any idea what is in Johnson's plan? Well, no, he seems to be being very cagey today about what's in it. Um, he does say he sees a way forward. He says he will be preparing his blueprint blueprint to give to Brussels very soon. But as you were just saying, he has come out this morning and says he doesn't want to see checks on the border with Ireland, which begs the question of where they'd be uh, in order to, to meet his obligations to the Tories who want some kind of custom structure uh, there. So the question becomes, if it's not on the border, where is it? And that's really the question that we're asking ourselves this morning in his plan. Is it at the point of destination? Is it the point of where the goods start from? Uh, that's unclear. That's really the question we're trying to find out. OK, uh, that we're all waiting for. Uh, well, Peter Flanagan uh, in Dublin, what's the Irish government response been? Because that's pretty critical for the European Union. 
Yeah, so far the Irish government has been pretty sceptical about what has been reported about what Johnson's plan could be. Um, overnight, um, the Foreign Minister Simon Coveney tweeted that the EU had yet to have a serious proposal from the UK government and needed one if a Brexit deal was to be achievable. Critically, he said that what has been proposed up to now is effectively a non-starter. Now, the Irish government has maintained over and over that um, the backstop that was part of Theresa May's deal was the only way so far to um, manage the Irish border after Brexit. They say they're open to alternatives to it, but are yet to see anything that's workable or that has the same impact as the backstop up to now. So, Peter, I mean, do you get the sense that the Irish government has actually been spoken to by Boris Johnson's administration? Has there been any element of trying to see what would work talking directly to Dublin? Well, Irish Prime Minister Leo Varadkar has met Johnson, I think, three times up to now. And there's also been a lot of contact at official level and ministers. I mean, both them, the two finance ministers have met recently now, they, may, they repeat over and over that negotiations are being carried out between Brussels and London. There's no formal negotiation between Dublin and London. However, you know, there is informal contact there. They are in talks all the time. But in terms of the actual negotiations, it's all being done through Brussels. OK, all being done through Brussels. But then on the other hand, uh, Ros, is there actually any sign of movement on Johnson's side? We, are his supporters basically willing to make any compromises here? Because it seems like the DUP and their sway has perhaps receded a little bit. But it's, it is the Tories within his party that, that have uh, some control, at least here. Yes, exactly. As you were just saying, like the question of Brussels and Ireland, they, they clearly have ongoing concerns. It's whether there's movement also within his own party and the Eurosceptics in his party in the sense that uh, they'd prefer to get any kind of deal now rather than face another delay, perhaps a protracted delay and an election. Although we did have Steve Baker, who heads the pro-Brexit ERG, that's the caucus within uh, Boris Johnson's party, saying this morning that he's expecting um, you know, a good deal from Boris Johnson, that there has to be some kind of hardening, as he says, of the border um, and putting out that warning again that even though the pressure is on just to agree to a deal, uh, they're going to be still expecting um, that Boris Johnson will come down in their favour. So a bit of a warning today from that key group. Yeah, Russ, that's really interesting because we're actually going to be talking to one person probably of a similar outlook, John Redwood, a little bit later in the programme. But as you say, Steve Baker putting out that line. I mean, there's a sense, I guess, Ros, that if the no deal happens, certainly there will be a hard border. There's no escaping that. And is there a sense perhaps that some of these people, the, the Conservatives, wouldn't necessarily be averse to it? Well, there, there is that case too. There are people within the Tory party who advocate just to crash out with no deal whatsoever. They say that people who say that that's going to lead to some kind of doomsday scenario are overreacting and, and the reality would be much different. And there would be a group within that. The question is whether there's enough Tories who will fall behind Boris Johnson plus the DOP, DUP plus perhaps some Labour lawmakers are also needed who would say that they really feel that that is too much of an apocalyptic scenario to, to go ahead with and they'd rather have some kind of managed exit. Okay. Um, well, then, Peter, look, what are the Irish government's red lines? I mean, I note that um, Ros was mentioning Simon Coveney and his tweet, the deputy Irish premier, you know, he tweeted out Northern Ireland and uh, Ireland deserves better. So, I mean, some of the frustration uh, on Twitter is, is apparent, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, I think it is fair to say that the, that the Irish side, I mean, and Simon Coveney have been very much to the forefront of this. They have, they've been seeing a lot of talk coming from London, a lot of kind of public statements, but in their eyes, they're yet to see any real concrete workable proposal from London. 
I mean, in, the, in terms of red lines for the Irish government, I mean, their overriding concern is to keep the border with Northern Ireland in, invisible. That means, you know, no infrastructure like cameras or border posts around the crossing and goods and people should be able to cross back and forth, back and forth more or less exactly as it is now. However, they do have a, have a slight dilemma because they have to... They acknowledge there will have to be some sort of check somewhere if Ireland is to maintain access to the European single market. That, you know, it's the key market for Ireland now in terms of exports. And it's critical to them that the Irish Republic isn't seen as some sort of um, backdoor for goods from outside the EU into the, into the single market itself. And in, indeed, um, Leo Varadkar, the Irish Prime Minister, has acknowledged that some form of checks will have to be the price they pay if it means keeping access to the single market. So they have two sort of um, conflicting conflicting problems there. And Peter, I mean, we're talking about this as if it's an economic problem, really, or a trade problem, but it's, it's got a lot more significance than that, hasn't it, this border? It does, yes. I mean, the, the, the economic issues are obviously very, very important, but there is an entire issue around identity with Northern Ireland as well. I mean, we had the, the, the decades of violence known as the Troubles, which was effectively ended by a peace agreement in 1998. And part of that agreement, what facilitated that agreement in a way, was the fact that the UK and the Republic of Ireland were both in the EU, so the border could be effectively just left open and left you know, invisible on, on the ground. I mean, there is a whole question of identity in, terms of, in Northern Ireland about whether someone sees themselves as Irish, as British, as Northern Irish. All those issues were sort of, in a way, um, were put to one side with the peace agreement and with the border being invisible. The danger is that those issues now come back up to the forefront if there is some sort of hard border in place. And Peter, is there a real risk of violence resuming? We've seen, I guess, in the last year, six months, uh, more violence perhaps than we expected before in Northern Ireland. But do you think there is a real potential for the troubles resuming? Yeah, I don't think anyone at this point sees us going back to what happened 20, 30, 40 years ago, when there were routinely there were murders and there were bombing, bomb attacks day in, day out in Northern Ireland. Nobody's talking about that at, at this stage, as far as I can see. But it is fair to say, yes, that tension has increased in the last few months. There have been a few there was a, a journalist killed in riots in April. There have also been some more gun attacks and some more bomb, bomb, bomb attacks. But to be clear, the, the, the level of tension that's there now is nothing like what was there in the 70s, the 80s, or the 90s. So people do fear a possible increase in violence, but at the moment, anyway, nobody is really suggesting that we're going to go back to the situation that happened um, decades ago. Okay, uh, well, that's at least, I suppose, one uh, positive aspect. Um, look, Vos, just briefly in terms of the options, actually, when it comes uh, to the border under any kind of deal, I mean, we hear so much about technology is going to provide the solution. We do, but we don't actually hear anything more than just that. Uh, what do they mean by technology? Do they mean, again, that there's no sort of physical post anywhere that you have to go through, that there's some kind of automated gate or something that goods or people can move back and forth? Um, or you scan something, a barcode on, on goods, and that just does the job for you behind the scenes. People talk a lot about technology doing the job of a border, but we haven't really seen that in other countries around the world yeah. replacing the need for those kinds of checks. So it's very unclear what that actually means. And I suppose passports, Ros, is another issue. I mean, 
people has been a lot about what this is about. Would there be people checks briefly? Do you think between the two is that a feasible option? Well, that's another question. Are all the Brits who used to who used to be going in and out of the EU through the nice slow quick lane, just scanning straight through, get getting their slow lane with the rest of us from Australia and elsewhere, <laughs> and make those lines incredibly long? Do we have to line up together now to get our passports done? That's also a question. Ros, thanks very much indeed. Ros Matheson there with us in the studio and Peter Flanagan down the line in Dublin talking about the options that there might be. We were looking at one or two of the interesting lines in the papers this morning and uh, interestingly the Guardian has uh, the Tories have lost their ideology, now they're merely the party of resentment. That's William Davis in the Guardian. Uh, Meanwhile on uh, opinion uh, on the Bloomberg terminal, Therese Raphael talking about Boris Johnson's Teflon gets a full sleaze test in her words. Uh, The stories. Uh, remind her around the allegations of of misconduct uh, for the Prime Minister. They are a reminder of a long-held small-c Conservative view that matters of personal morality and those of probity in public office are often not very far apart. So how will the scandals play out amongst UK voters? And finally, from the Daily Telegraph, often seen as the House magazine of the Conservatives, of course, rather interesting editorial, talking about Boris Johnson's upcoming speech. On the one hand, they say he could stick with the divisive confrontational approach being pushed by the Vote Leave team. On the other, he could capitalise on the hard left's regressive and highly damaging agenda and take a more traditional centrist campaign. If he is sensible, the Telegraph says, he'll use his speech tomorrow to choose the latter course. That's this, they say, would require him to build bridges. OK, well, one person I'm sure who will be listening to that speech by Boris Johnson up in Manchester is John Redwood, our guest this afternoon, Conservative MP and long-standing Eurosceptic, a minister, if you recall, under John Major in the 1990s. So, John, thank you so much uh, for joining us. We're delighted to have you on the programme. Do you, sir, have any idea what is in Boris Johnson's plan that he's meant to present to the European Union in the coming days? Well, as I understand it, the British government has prepared a group of what they call non-papers dealing with technical matters related to the Irish backstop, which is obviously a big sticking point in the draft May withdrawal agreement. And they don't want to publish those for the understandable reason that these are without prejudice suggestions and that there would need to be, I think, a number of other changes before you had anything like a, a satisfactory agreement. But, but, John, do you have any sense of what might be in them? Has the word been put about at all in Manchester as what it might be? Well, no, no more than you've picked up as good journalists. And I think the, the main thing that's happened is there seems to have been a leak from one of these papers by the Irish uh, who've leaked it for their own purposes because it's obviously a feature they don't like. But that, that, but that point is, is about the border checks being a little bit of a distance from the border. How would you feel about that? Well, I, I always liked what the British government used to say, which is we don't need additional new checks uh, if, if we leave without signing the withdrawal agreement. Uh, because uh, technology can take care at the moment of VAT and excise and currency. It is already a complex border where you have to have a number of financial transactions to complete uh, an import or export activity. And if they're having tariffs as well, I'd thought they could be handled electronically in a similar way. Um, I think this may be something to do with physical checks on goods. And again, the preference, uh, as we have at the moment, is to have the physical checks on goods at the point where they depart from and at the point where they arrive rather than needing things at the border. Uh, But surely that sort of defeats the whole idea of uh, when goods are moving between customs areas where, you know, 
the lorries themselves would need to be checked and indeed people may well at some point be needed uh, need to be checked i mean a hard border surely is going to be inevitable and surely that is something actually to avoid I don't think a harder border than we've got at the moment is inevitable at all. Let's take people, first of all. Um, uh, we have a, a common travel area with the Republic of Ireland, which we've had from way back before we joined the EU, and they had their own common movement and borders provisions, and that will continue. It is already a border for tackling crime and potential terrorism by mutual cooperation of the authorities on both sides, but it's not a border requiring people to stop and offer permits and get visas, and it won't be after we've left. Uh, as to goods, um, the big freight forwarders and the big companies involved in major import and export um, usually have an electronic manifest filing system and, and sealed trucks, uh, which can just pass a border easily. Uh, there can be random inspections, but more often it's, it's intelligence-led. Uh, people only need to stop trucks and have a good look at them if they have evidence or reason to suppose that one of the licensed operators is actually cheating. John, I mean, I'm interested in you and, and your colleagues, some of them known as the Spartans, I think is a phrase, are people who have very vigorously pushed the Brexit agenda for a long time and been, in a sense, hard to please, I think, uh, particularly perhaps for Theresa May. Have your red lines changed at all? Is, is there any wiggle room? Is there any manoeuvring, perhaps changing slightly, that you're prepared to do now with an idea to get a deal when otherwise the option might be no Brexit at all? Well, I and my friends are sticking with what we said in the general election together with Mrs May, which we thought was a good manifesto at the time. And I think at a time when lots of politicians are changing their minds and changing parties and letting their voters down, there's something to be said for consistency. And to remind you of our joint manifesto, uh, we said that no deal is better than a bad deal. Uh, and I've always said that so-called no deal, which will actually be multiple agreement withdrawal with a whole set of technical agreements, that uh, would work just fine, but that if there were a better overarching agreement than that, I would be very happy to support it. The you said, sorry, agreement you said, was miles off being such a, a better deal. John, you just said that no deal would be fine, but I mean, by implication, certainly what our, our reporter in Dublin was saying just now, that would mean a hard border, definitely, in Northern Ireland, and there are implications for security and peace there as a result of that. That's hardly fine. Well, we just start with all that. I've explained why there is absolutely no need for the British government to impose new hard border characteristics on what is already a complex border and how you don't need to invent new technology. A lot of people talking about this don't seem to have ever imported or exported anything themselves um, through the TIR system and through the electronic manifest system and don't seem to understand but this the has, power of computers. Yeah, but the technology and the technological solution has not been tried anywhere else in the world. Well, it's being tried at the moment. It's how the current Irish border works because it's not a no-controls border, but it's an electronic-controls border in the main with electronic settlement of VAT and excise, which are different on both sides of the border already. But only because we're part of the EU. No, it's nothing to do with that. It's because we've got computers, and it may, it's more convenient to have these systems. And some of these systems um, were developed by the EU, others are international systems for the free transit across borders, because this is all governed by a superior authority, in this case, to the EU, which is the World Trade Organization, and, and you should read the facilitation of a trade agreement which came into effect um, a year and a half ago or so, 
which governs all of us, the EU and the UK, which has very clear, detailed proposals on how you don't need to have big impediments to the safe passage of goods that are being taken on trucks organised by licensed people. But John, you said that people who, who, who don't, people who object to this or think there'll be problems have never, probably never exported or imported, but there's a lot of people who definitely have. The CBI are definitely involved in that. The British Chambers of Commerce are definitely involved in that, and they've all said this will be a major problem. It's not something just to be, oh, it'll be fine. Well, I still haven't heard uh, any pharmaceutical company on the continent or any food, major food supplier on the continent saying they're going to stop our supplies, and all of them, I think, are saying that, of course, they will carry on supplying their customers under contract, and I've heard both the Calais and Dover ports that have been a particular focus of interest by critics of Brexit uh, say that they have put in place the necessary measures so there can be smooth transit, because Dover and Calais both know that if there isn't smooth transit, then the business will move to Ostend and Zeebrugge and Antwerp and all the others. Okay, but that is slightly disingenuous in the sense that, yes, of course, trade will continue and and trade you, you can trade around the world between countries, but it's the cost factor that it will become more expensive to, to do it. It's not that people will not trade, it's simply that the, the cost of it will go up. Well, the cost only goes up if we impose tariffs on each other. I, I hope the British government will offer a comprehensive free trade agreement and if the EU just consents to talks on that. We don't need to impose tariffs. But also note that the UK government has issued a provisional or indicative schedule of tariffs, and there are going to be far fewer tariffs on imports after we've left the EU, uh, and there will be a lowering of tariffs because we don't need to impose so much tax on imported products from outside the EU in future. And where we go to zero tariff on imports from the rest of the world, then, of course, you carry on with zero tariff on the EU product. But, John, I mean, the, the man who is set to trying to lead you through to this, this whole process, Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, he is a man at the moment who is beset with all kinds of allegations about his past, about his character. Uh, and at the same time, also, you have a Conservative Party meeting in Manchester talking about all sorts of public spending. I mean, this seems to go against two of the fundamentals of the Tory party, that it's a, it's a prudent party that, that, that looks after the nation's finances and that it's a party of standards in public life and personal life. I mean, do do you not feel slightly exposed to having Boris Johnson in that position? No, I, I voted for Boris Johnson and I support Boris Johnson. I think he got a big uh, victory from the membership generally, showing that they support him. And we all knew he'd had a colourful past life. Nobody thought that we were choosing a saint to do this job. Um, but we don't think that's the most relevant thing. What matters is his ability to communicate with the wider public and to offer some confidence and vision and optimism, which have been sadly lacking, uh, with Mrs May um, impaled on her withdrawal agreement that the country as a whole hated at United Remain and Leave against her. So that's what we want. As to the economics, I've been a voice for three or four years now saying that the fiscal squeeze and the monetary squeeze in the UK is too tough and we need to relax. We need a more optimistic uh, and flexible policy. And I'm very glad that this Chancellor and this Prime Minister have heard those words and are doing something about it. We're certainly not going to be imprudent. We're not going to go on an unfinanceable borrowing binge. We had to tackle that problem in 2010. But policy under Hammond just simply got far too tight. It was quite punishing. Mm -hmm. And at a time of world slowdown, we need a bit of a boost here in the UK. 
Thank you so much for joining us. That's John Redwood, the Conservative MP and long-standing Eurosceptic, uh, joining us from Manchester and the Tory Party Conference. Of course, they'll hear from the Prime Minister tomorrow. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.